Hello, my beautiful young and profiting family. In this episode of Yap Classic, we're talking to Dr. Daniel Amen, one of America's leading psychiatrists and brain health experts. In today's episode, we discuss Daniel's childhood, how to work through trauma, and what trauma looks like in your brain. We also talk about Daniel's perspective on marijuana and alcohol and how you can improve your brain's health. Now, I absolutely loved this episode. That's why we're replaying it. Dr. Amen is brilliant. And I'm confident you guys are gonna love this episode too. You're gonna learn a ton of actionable advice on how to improve your brain health. So let's dive right into my interview with Dr. Daniel Amen. I'm so happy to have you on Young and Profiting Podcast. Welcome to the show. Paula, thank you so much for having me. Of course. So you are known as like America's most famous psychiatrist. You are super accomplished. You've been doing this for 40 years, best-selling author of over a dozen books. Um, you're known on TV. You've got television programs. You are just a rock star in this space. You are a psychiatrist, a brain disorder specialist. And it turns out that you are uh, have Lebanese descent. So me and you are both Middle Eastern. And for me, being Palestinian, I feel like that's one of the reasons why I'm successful. I feel like that's one of the reasons why I have grit and drive. And so I'm curious to know, how has your Lebanese descent impacted your career and the way that you are today in terms of how hardworking you are and how successful you are? Well, my dad is like the embodiment of the American dream in that my grandmother grew up in an orphanage in Bethlehem and my grandfather came from Haifa before it changed over to Israel. And they were very poor. My grandfather worked in a foundry and my dad's one of five, but for whatever reason, he had the drive in the family and worked in a grocery store and ended up owning his own chain of grocery stores and became the chairman of the board of a $4 billion company. And I think I inherited his drive. And Lebanese are often called the merchants of the Middle East. And I'm so grateful I have an older brother because in Middle Eastern families, the oldest boy, golden child, right? If you're not the oldest boy, you're a bit expendable. And so I was second, which was just perfect because I had the drive, but I wasn't all that attached to the grocery business and just love psychiatry and wanted to, that's what I wanted to do for my life. And it just sort of worked. Yeah, I can imagine. And likewise, I mean, my dad, same thing, like embodied the American dream, came over here, became a surgeon, grew up super poor. And so I can totally relate to, you know, looking up to your father in that way. I know that you and your father actually didn't have the best relationship. So let's actually move on to that. You have a funny goat story that I want to talk about. I think a lot of Middle Easterns have really traumatic goat stories. Like my older brother has a very similar one. So I I, I heard this. And I thought it was so funny. So tell us about the goat story. But really, the lesson that I want to pull out is how trauma impacts your brain and how long that trauma stayed with you and how you healed it. So tell us about this goat story. Well, my dad was sort of like a no BS person. He was not warm and fuzzy. His two favorite words when I was growing up were no, 
whatever you asked him, the answer was no. And bullshit. <laughs> and that was a two. And when I was five, I actually have a video of this. Uh, I played it in my latest uh, public television special. I'm five years old. We have a white goat, pure white. Uh, her name was Sugar. She loved me. I loved her. But she also loved my father's roses. So my father loved gardening. And, you know, one day she had just ate too many of the roses and he sent her away to the farm, which basically meant sugar's getting slaughtered. I mean, I didn't understand it at the time until a couple of nights later, my dad and his brother were joking. They were feeding us sugar for dinner in goat stew. I remember throwing up running to my room crying and just thinking what an awful human being he was. And then I sort of let it go. And it was decades later. I am a psychiatrist. I'm speaking at a big conference on spirituality and the mind in Monterey, Mexico. Well, in Mexico, they actually have, you know, one of their street vendors, they sell goat meat. And I walk by and I could smell the goat meat and then I saw it. And then all of a sudden I had a panic attack. It was like I got flooded with that memory of when I was five and the murder of sugar um, over the stupid roses. You know, that's just the brain works through association. The cool end of the story is when I told my dad I wanted to be a psychiatrist, he asked me why I didn't want to be a real doctor, why I wanted to be a nut doctor and hang out with nuts all day long. So that really crystallizes our relationship. But seven years before he died, he got really sick. And for the first time in his life, he looked at me and he said, I'm sick of being sick. What do you want me to do? And that's when our relationship really transitioned into a more helpful adult relationship. Yeah, I'm glad that you guys ended up making up before he passed. I actually lost my father to COVID last May. So I know how that goes. Last May, May 5th, I remember the day and I was just horrified. You know, when people go, COVID's a cold, it's like, no, COVID's not a cold. I'm so sorry. Um, You lost your dad. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I think he had such a great life. My dad was just like this super nice, generous, everybody loved him, community leader, just such a great guy. So I just feel like he left such a great legacy. So I don't feel so like bad about it because I just feel like he touched so many people and everybody loves him. And it just was his time, I guess. I have to be positive about it. If I can ask, how old was he when he He died? He was 74. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I'm the youngest, youngest of all our siblings. How many um, siblings do you have? I have four. Uh, yeah. I'm one of seven, a good Catholic Lebanese family. Yes, <laughs> that's a lot of kids. And I'm the only non-doctor. All my siblings are doctors except for me, and I'm the media personality. So <laughs> to each their own. So let's talk about that trauma, what that trauma looked like in your brain. 
What did that like? What does trauma look like in your brain? So when that goat thing happened, you ended up having to eat your pet goat. That was probably very traumatizing. What does that look like in your brain? So I actually published a couple of very large studies. So at Amen Clinics, we have nine, soon to be 10 clinics around the United States. We do brain imaging work. We think you should actually look at the brain before you go about messing with it. Too many people are being put on psychiatric medications and no one's actually ever assessed the organ of behavior, which is your brain. And I published a study on 21,000 people showing we could separate emotional trauma, PTSD, from physical trauma, traumatic brain injuries, with very high levels of accuracy. It's what we call with emotional trauma, this diamond pattern, where your limbic or emotional brain becomes overactive and you just sort of can't stop thinking about it. The trauma I grew up with got set in my brain and then periodically something would trigger it. And then all of a sudden I would feel awful. And that's true for so many people. But trauma actually leaves an imprint of activity that can be flipped switches that you just sort of aren't ready for, like walking by goat meat on the street. Yeah, that's super interesting that things can like stay with you for so long and you don't you might not even remember that you have this memory, but then something triggers it and you're like, oh, shoot, I remember when that happened when I was much younger. So how do you overcome that? How do you cleanse that trauma from you or does trauma stay with you forever? No, there's a lot of work that you can do to, one, understand it and to soothe it. I published uh, another study on a treatment technique I'm very fond of called EMDR, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. It's a treatment where you bring up the trauma, so I could talk about the goat story, and the therapist gets your eyes to go back and forth while you do it. And initially, it sort of heightens the feeling, but after they're done, it sort of dissipates. And it's really cool. And I think it's the bilateral hemisphere stimulation, stimulating one side, then the other, one side, then the other, that helps bring it up and then calm it down. There's another treatment technique I like a lot called havening. So like safe haven, havening, I-N-G. And people can learn about it at havening.org. I also talk about it in my new book, Your Brain is Always Listening. And I remember shortly after my dad died last year, I'm like in my mom's house a couple of days later, we're just going through papers and some idiot put a picture of my dead dad in the mortuary in a random stack of papers. And I remember going through it and then I saw it and it was like somebody just, you know, threw hot water on you. And it just upset me like the rest of the day, you know, what idiot would do this. And and I noticed the picture bothered me. Well, I help people with this problem. And so I did havening and havening again, bilateral hemisphere stimulation. So it's either you stroke down, 
from your shoulders to your elbows, or you stroke your face, which during the time of COVID is probably not a good idea, or rub your hands like this. So I noticed later in the day, I'm, okay, you're obsessing about this. And so, so you think about it, and I just started havening. And you do it for 30 seconds, and you rate it, like on a scale of 1 to 10, how upsetting it is. And it was like a 9. And I'm still very sort of raw from my dad dying. But after 30 seconds of havening, I noticed it was sort of like a 4. And after doing it, so you do it like up to 6, 7 times. After the third time, it didn't bother me. And then after I did it a couple of more times, it became my favorite picture because it was the last picture of my dad on earth and he was at peace. And so there are lots of ways. Some people use tapping. Sometimes people use hypnosis, which I'm a big fan of. The trick is do something that helps rather than do things that hurt, right? Mm. There are fixes that fail. Marijuana, alcohol, ice cream, being angry, you know, randomly dating to just sort of soothe the hurt you have. I I like it. I wrote a book once called Feel Better Fast and Make It Last. You know, what are the strategies we can use that help us now and later versus now, but not later. Yeah, I love that havening thing. You know, it's so funny. I want to just clear something up. So my dad died May 2020, which is why I'm more over it than I think your dad died May 2021. So my dad died right May 2020. Oh, your dad died May 2020. Okay. I thought I just wanted to be clear that my dad You're still, yeah, you know what? I, it's funny that you just talked about the havening thing because that's actually going to really help me because I, unfortunately, my dad died in the hospital and we weren't allowed to visit him. And the last time, the only time they allowed us to go to the hospital was after he died. So I always see this image of my dead father and I, and it's so hard to get out of my mind. So I'm going to definitely use that the next time that that happens. And then I like the fact that you said that it's your favorite picture because it's great to reframe things in that way from a negative into a positive. So I actually will take that forever. So thank you for sharing that with me. Okay, so let's talk about alcohol and smoking marijuana on the brain since you brought it up. Um, Talk to us about your research with SPECT scans and what your perspective is on marijuana and the brain, because marijuana is getting legalized everywhere. It's really common, especially for millennials, to be smoking marijuana. And I think that you have a perspective that needs to be heard about it. Yeah, and I have no dog in the fight. You know, I'm quite frankly more likely to see you if you use marijuana than if you don't. But I like this verse in the New Testament Uh, John 8.32, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Marijuana is bad for the brain. How do I know? I've looked at thousands of marijuana users. I actually published a study on a thousand marijuana users compared to healthy brains. Every area of the brain is lower in blood flow. So from the moment I ordered my first scan in 1991, I'm like, oh, marijuana makes your brain look older than you are. 
and it gives the brain this sort of toxic, unhealthy look. And then if you've been a psychiatrist for 40 years, you realize marijuana causes some vulnerable people to have an increased risk of psychosis. And if you smoke, uh, if you use marijuana as a teenager, you're much more likely in your 20s to struggle with anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. I was on the Michael Savage show years ago. He was a famous talk show host. And he's going, you're going to get a lot of haters. And I'm like, yes, but everybody who's going to call is spontaneously going to complain of short-term memory problems because marijuana affects your ability to learn. Yeah. What about that argument that marijuana smoking prevents Alzheimer's? Is there any truth to that? Absolutely not. And, you know, the people who are selling it, the people who are for it, are going to dig up all the research they can on it. But the number one predictor you're going to get Alzheimer's disease is low blood flow to the brain. Number one predictor, marijuana lowers blood flow to the brain. Let's talk about obesity, because people think obesity, they think you're physically unhealthy. I don't think they're thinking about your brain and how obesity impacts your brain. Can you talk to us about that? Well, the research actually is horrifying. And, you know, I come from a family of fat people. (laughs) My dad used to always hate when I said that. But I have a brother that's like 150 pounds overweight and a sister that's 150 or 200 pounds overweight. And then one of my friends published a study that said as your weight goes up, the size of your brain goes down. And I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) I'm like, no, 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 no. And that actually gave me the motivation to lose the 20 pounds I'd been trying to lose for 30 years because I'm not ever doing anything purposefully to have a smaller brain. That's a brand violation for me. And then I looked at my own database because I have a group of normal normal people, healthy people, And I didn't sort of separate out the people who are overweight or obese from the people who are healthy weight. So I looked at that and being overweight significantly was associated with low blood flow to the front part of the brain. Things like focus and forethought and judgment and impulse control. And then I was doing a big NFL study at the time. I looked at my NFL players who are overweight versus healthy weight. Again, low blood flow. And then I coined a term called the dinosaur syndrome, big body, little brain. You're going to become extinct. We need to get serious about this. And then last year, I published a huge study on 35,000 scans and found there is basically a linear correlation. As your weight goes up, the function of your brain goes down everywhere. And we're in trouble with 42% of us over, no, 42% of us obese in the United States, 72% of us overweight. This is the biggest brain drain in the history of the United States. Plus, I have a mnemonic I like, if you want to keep your brain healthy or rescue it, if it's headed for trouble, you have to prevent or treat the 11 major risk factors that steal your mind. And we know what they are. And the mnemonic is called bright minds. 
Well, if you're overweight, you have six of them. Just being overweight because the fat on your body, if you're overweight, it lowers blood flow. We just talked about that. It prematurely ages the brain. Fat cells increase inflammation. And everybody now knows that if you're overweight or obese, it increases your risk of dying from COVID-19. Fat cells store toxins. They change hormones. So the N in Bright Minds is neurohormones. It takes healthy testosterone, which is important for men and women, and turns it into unhealthy cancer-promoting forms of estrogen. This is a bad thing. And then the D in Bright Minds is diabetes, high blood sugar, more likely to have if you're overweight or being overweight. So we need to get serious. And being too thin is not good for your brain, right? Your brain needs nutrients, but we need to stop supersizing things. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. What's up, Yap Bam? Being an entrepreneur and working remotely definitely has its perks. And I know a lot of you listening in are in the same boat as me. But do you really take advantage of being able to work from anywhere? I know I typically don't, but thankfully this past holiday, I finally decided to make use of my work flexibility for the first time ever. My boyfriend and I decided to pack up and leave to the West Coast to spend an entire month working from home in the sun. We got a super cute bungalow in Venice Beach with a fenced backyard. The change in scenery, the fresh air, and the slower pace to help me to inspire some really cool new ideas for my business. And honestly, I'm feeling really refreshed and ready to rock in 2024. And who helped me make these remote work dreams come true? It was Airbnb. And Airbnb has come in clutch for me time and time again. Whether it's finding the perfect Airbnb home for our three-day annual executive team get-together or booking a vacation where my extended family can fit all in one place, Airbnb always makes it a great experience. And you know me. I'm always thinking of my latest business venture and I've been begging my boyfriend to start hosting our place on Airbnb. And finally, we're gonna start. So many of my successful friends host on Airbnb and it's such an amazing way to generate passive income. So to start, we have a plan to start spending more time in Miami and we'll be hosting our place to earn some extra money when we're back on the East Coast. 2024 goals and I'll keep you updated. A lot of people don't realize that they might have an Airbnb right under their own noses. I was pretty surprised myself. You can Airbnb your place or spare room, even if you're out of town for just a few days or weeks. You could do what I did and work remotely somewhere else and Airbnb your place to fund your trip. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That's airbnb.com slash host to find out how much your home is worth. Yeah, bam, I wanna talk about focus. When I started my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass, I needed to focus on creating the best course possible. I didn't have time to worry about how to set up my website and collect payments. And that's why I set up my store on Shopify. <laughs> Launching App Academy through Shopify was one of the best decisions I've ever made. We made nearly $500,000 so far. And since I sell a course, that's pretty much pure profit. Are you ready to be young and profiting too? Then launch your business with Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're a side hustler, new entrepreneur, or rocking a multi-million dollar business. And it doesn't matter if you're selling scented soap or a marketing masterclass like me. 
Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. And when it comes to e-commerce, Shopify turns online window shoppers into actual buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. We're talking 36% better on average compared to other platforms with features like abandoned cart campaigns, discount promo codes, and so much more. Fun fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge brands like Thrive Cosmetics and Allbirds. No matter your stage, no matter if it's online or in person, Shopify is always the right commerce platform for you. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting, and that's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Let's talk about dragons. So in your new book, you talk about these dragons that are coming from our past, haunting us today. What are these dragons and what are some of the dragons that you have from your past life? So as I was writing, your brain is always listening. uh, My new book, you know, I initially thought, well, your brain listens to the food you eat and the news you listen to and the social media you follow. And then I'm like, your brain also is listening to the past. And uh, I have a friend, Sharon May, who uses the analogy of dragons in her couples counseling. And I'm like, I wonder what dragons I have. And so together, Sharon and I came up with 13 dragons. You know, to one degree or another, we all have a little bit of them. But people have primary and secondary dragons. My primary dragon is the abandoned, invisible, or insignificant dragon. And and I wasn't abandoned, but I was invisible, being one of seven, third, completely not special in a Lebanese family being the second son. And, you know, it sort of hurts sometimes. And I built a life based on being significant. I love helping. And when I don't help, that dragon will sort of breathe on, breathe fire on my emotional brain. And so, you know, I have to be careful because I can't help everybody, right? You sort of have to want to be helped for it to work, right? Not everybody's actually a good candidate to get psychiatric help. The second one I had, the inferior flawed dragon. When, so I'm smaller. I was like the smallest kid in my class. And that was sort of hard. And then being second, and then being Lebanese, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley, just north of Los Angeles, where it was a high Jewish population. And there was always that sort of conflict in my family and in the neighborhood. And being Palestinian, you sort of understand here in the United States, sort of most people take Israel's position and we're like, you know, there really is another side to this story that very often in the U.S. doesn't get told. And so there's also the anxious dragon, the wounded dragon, the whole goat story, the responsible dragon. Or if you grew up Roman Catholic like I did, the shouldn't shaming dragon, you know, that's sort of always pointing its finger at you. My favorite of all the dragons is the ancestral dragon. That's where the issues you have, they're not yours, that you inherited them. They actually got written into your genetic code. 
And I, I just think now about civil war in Syria and all those children that are being traumatized. Well, that trauma is being written in the genetic code. So when they have babies, the babies are more likely to struggle with anxiety, more likely to have issues with post-traumatic stress disorder. And if you think of, you know, being Palestinian or Lebanese, there's a lot, or Israeli, there's a lot of trauma in our family history that is part of our genetic code. When you think of the whole Black Lives Matter movement, there's generations of trauma. Virtually every country around the world has its issue with repressed people. And even after the repression may be better, there's still the trauma that can live through generations. There's also another of the dragons I've been thinking about lately is the death dragon. And one of my fun strategies, so each of the dragons, you know, where do they come from? What's the upside? Because all of them have an upside. How do you fix them? So we have strategies. And my favorite strategy for the death dragon, I mean, you sort of have to know you're going to die. It's the denial of death that is partially responsible for people living empty, purposeless lives. Because when you think you're going to live forever, you don't take care of the relationships and issues you need to take care of. And so when I was in college, I wrote my own funeral, very helpful, to just sort of know there's an end. So if there's an end, I need to make today important. I need to make today special. And one of my favorite techniques is to actually list 10 good things about dying. And living in near Los Angeles is I'll never have to drive in LA traffic again. These people are seriously crazy. I won't have to go to the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. Got my teeth cleaned two weeks ago. And it's like, why are you poking my gums with this sharp metal object? (laughs) So just sort of looking at what's good about it takes some of the sting out of it. Yeah, I love that. You know, it reminds me of something that I spoke with Robert Green, and he taught me about the law of death denial. It's very similar to what you're talking about right now. And I love how you put some strategies in place, like writing your own funeral or writing 10 things down that is good about death, because it can actually be the greatest motivator. Death can be the life's greatest motivator. I totally agree. All right, let's talk about another animal or insect, and that's ants. What are ants or A-N-T-S? Tell us about that. Automatic negative thoughts, right? Automatic negative thoughts uh, come into your mind and ruin you. And it's sort of shocking that you can get out of high school or college or have an advanced degree and no one ever taught you not to believe every stupid thing you think. There's actually no classes in managing your mind. And I came up with the term ants about 30 years ago. I had a really hard day at work. I had four suicidal people. That's a lot. I had two couples who hated each other and two teenagers who'd run away from home. And at the end of the day, I came home. I was worn out and I had an ant infestation 
in my kitchen. And currently I'm battling ants in my house. So I just know how irritating they are. And I was cleaning them up. I'm like, ants, automatic negative thoughts. Because, you know, when you're in medical school, you have to learn so much. You're always using memory tricks to remember things. And I'm like, my patients are infested. And the next day I brought a can of Raid ant spray to work. And I put it on my coffee table and I said, I'm going to teach you how to kill the ants. And the kids, because I'm also a child psychiatrist, just loved it. And then I went to Pier 39 in San Francisco near my office. And I got an anteater puppet. And then subsequently, I give away these little anteaters. Because you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think. And whenever you feel sad or mad or nervous or out of control, Write down what you're thinking and then ask yourself whether or not it's true. I don't know if you were any good when you were a teenager talking back to your parents. I was excellent. But no one ever taught me to talk back to myself. That if I have a thought, I'm no good. I mean, it just came out recently. I love Naomi Osaka and how she's been so public with her struggles. And she's getting ready for the U.S. Open. And she came out with, I am never enough. I am never good enough. And I'm like, no one's ever taught her to manage her mind. And I've been blessed. You know, I came out last year. I've been Justin Bieber's doctor for a long time and Miley Cyrus. They have exactly those same thoughts. And no one had ever taught them It's like you don't have to believe every stupid thing you think, that you can learn to manage your mind. And I have another fun technique called give your mind a name. So it's based on a concept called psychological distancing. You can distance yourself from the chatter. And I actually gave my mind the name of Hermie. Hermie was my pet raccoon. When I was 16, I actually had a pet raccoon and she was a troublemaker and I loved her, but she TP'd my mother's bathroom. She ate my sister's fish out of the aquarium. She used to leave raccoon poo in my shoes. She's just like my mind. All of a sudden, my mind will pop up with these terrible thoughts. And I'm like, oh, Hermie, I need to put you in the cage. You know, it's like, I don't need to listen to you today. And periodically, I'll just sort of check in and see how she's doing. But mind management is so important, you know? Now, you need some anxiety. Let's just get that out of the way right away. People with low levels of anxiety die the earliest from accidents and preventable illnesses. But obviously, too much devastates your life. And so I want enough anxiety that I do the right things, but no more, which means I have to manage the thoughts I have. And there's an exercise in your brain is always listening of write down a hundred of your worst thoughts. And then I have you ask yourself five questions on each thought. And it's so powerful. If you do it a hundred times, the ants will dissipate. 
And, you know, having an ant infestation now, when you go to bed, you just feel these creepy crawly things on you, even when they're not there. When you have negative thoughts, they affect everything in your life from your happiness, your relationships. Yeah, they just affect everything. Yeah, I feel like negative thoughts can impact your success, to your point, your relationships. And like you said, they don't teach that in school. I wish they would teach mental health in school the same way that they implemented like PE. I wish they would do something like meditation class or some sort of mental health class. I hope that that's in our future soon. (laughs) We have a high school course and we actually have a brand new elementary school curriculum where we do just that. We teach kids to kill the ants and manage their minds and do diaphragmatic breathing. Breathing is so helpful, so simple, so important. Uh, And it's something you can control. And, you know, if you ever watch a baby breathe or a puppy breathe, they breathe almost exclusively with their bellies. But, you know, our breathing's become more chest-based, shallower, more rapid, which just makes us more anxious. So you say breathe through your belly then? Yeah. So imagine a balloon in your belly. And when you breathe in, blow it up. So let your belly get big, which means for women, never wear tight clothes. Because if you're wearing something tight, you can't expand your lungs. And that's going to make you more anxious. And having five sisters and five daughters that this is, you know, I'm like, no tight clothes. And it's like, oh, but I want to look skinny. And it's like, yeah, you'll be skinny and anxious and less attractive because being anxious isn't attractive. And then take twice as long to breathe out as you breathe in. And so there's a cool app I like called Awesome Breathing. And I'll program it four seconds in eight seconds out and you just have to do it for like two minutes. Like when you come home, I want you to just try this instead of the other thing we talked about just for three minutes, awesome breathing. And when you program it four seconds in, hold it for a second, eight seconds out, hold it for a second, just for three minutes. And then email me and tell me how you feel. Because I guarantee you're going to trigger a relaxation response in your body, but your mind will be clearer than ever. And as a business person, isn't that what you really want? Clarity. You want clarity. You want focus. You want energy. But without the frenetic pace, without the sort of monkey mind going on, And diaphragmatic breathing is just, it's so cool because it's intentional, it's biologic, it's psychologic, and just helps you be your best. Yeah. And what's the name of that app? It's Awesome Breathing, you said? Awesome Breathing. Awesome Breathing. Yeah, it's free. It's so simple. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Yeah, fam, I did a big thing recently. I rolled out benefits to my U.S. employees. They now get healthcare and 401ks. And maybe this doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but it was surely a big deal to me because benefits were like the boogeyman to me. I thought for sure we couldn't afford it. I thought that it was going to be so complicated, so hard to set up, lots of risk involved. 
And in fact, so many of my star employees have left in the past citing benefits as the only reason why. And here I was thinking that we couldn't afford benefits when it's literally not that expensive at all and you actually split the cost between the employee and the employer. I had no idea. I found out on JustWorks. JustWorks has been a total lifesaver for me. We were using two other platforms for payroll, one for domestic in US, one for international. We had our HR guidelines and things like that, employee handbook on another site, and everything was just everywhere. Now everything's consolidated with JustWorks, a tried and tested employee management platform. You get automated payments, tax calculations, and withholdings with expert support anytime you need it. And on top of that, there's no hidden fees. You can leave all the boring stuff to JustWorks and just get to business. And with automatic time tracking, it has made managing my international hires a little bit more soothing for my soul that I know that they're actually working and they're tracking their time. I mean, it's really hard to manage remote employees. It's easy to get started right away. All you need is 30 minutes. You don't even have to be in front of your computer. You can just get started right on your phone. Take advantage of this limited time offer. Start your free month now at justworks.com slash profiting. Let JustWorks run your payroll so you don't have to. Start your free month now at justworks.com slash profiting. Young and Profiters, my company, Yap Media, is growing fast. We're onboarding client after client. We're landing a ton of huge deals. And my team just can't keep up. I knew we needed to hire new employees to support my team, but I didn't want to waste my time sifting through candidates who aren't good fits for my company. That's why I use Indeed, the ultimate hiring platform. Indeed makes it easy for me to find great talent fast. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality candidates compared to other job sites. And I don't have to spend hours looking for these great candidates. Indeed's matching engine sends me a list of quality candidates who meet my job requirements the moment I post a job. I can also message candidates, screen their profiles and resumes, send them skills assessments, and schedule interviews with them all from Indeed. It's really an all-in-one platform. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to give your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash profiting. Just go to indeed.com slash profiting right now to support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash profiting. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, AI is changing how we do business. At Yap Media, we use AI to do things like create AI voice models of my voice in case I get sick. And we also use it for basic things like transcribing captions and our meetings. This AI and algorithm-infused world is awesome, but it does dramatically increase all the choices and decisions we have to make in business on a daily basis. Everything is just so much more complex than it used to be. We have to be sure to analyze our data to make the right decisions while also avoiding assumptions and cognitive bias. Ultimately, we all could use some better critical thinking skills moving into the future. And we can look no further than to Economist Education. They just rolled out a new critical thinking course, but it's different from other programs out there on the topic because they focus on today's AI environment and they use real case studies that help you challenge your narrow views and avoid groupthink. Economist Education has two to six week online programs covering everything from international relations to writing and sustainability, and they're made specifically for executives and entrepreneurs. Their programs feature experts and senior editors from The Economist, 
Actually, one of my favorite authors, Daniel Kahneman, who wrote Thinking Fast and Slow, is one of the guest speakers in the critical thinking course that I just took. When you sign up for one of their programs, you also get a three-month digital subscription to The Economist to support your learning. Economist education is a great way to stay ahead in your career, and I've got a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course from Economist Education, only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com slash profiting. That's education.economist.com slash profiting. And enter my code profiting at registration. This offer ends March 31st. So don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com slash profiting and use code profiting at checkout. I have a question for you. One of my last questions is, what would be the one thing you wish would go mainstream out of all your research that you've done that you wish that the medical field and and your colleagues would really understand and you wish that it would just go mainstream? Well, let me pick two. The first one is imaging. If you don't look, you don't know. My colleagues have sort of tried to diminish me over the years. And it's like, I'm trying to get more information to help my patients and stop guessing like you are. And in May of this year, one of my top 10 happiest moments of my whole life happened when the Canadian Association of Nuclear Medicine put out new procedure guidelines on brain spec imaging, basically as if I wrote them. And so imaging needs to go mainstream. How how do you know that your depression is not the result of being exposed to COVID or having an environmental toxin or had a head injury that changed your life? How how do you know if you don't look? Depression is not a Prozac deficiency. And I'm not opposed to Prozac. I just don't think that should be the first and only thing you use in the dark. Think of depression like chest pain. It's nobody gets a diagnosis of chest pain because it doesn't tell you what causes it or what to do for it. The second thing I want to go mainstream is brain envy. I want us to love our brains. Nobody loves our brain, their brain, because you can't see it. When I first looked at my brain in 1991, I'm like, well, that's not healthy. I played football in high school, had meningitis as a young soldier, thought I was special because I could get by on four hours of sleep at night. And when I saw my brain, I realized I wasn't special. I was stupid. And so, you know, loving your brain and really taking care of it. I want brain health to be as popular as Peloton and working out and physical health. And if you want to prevent or treat those 11 major risk factors that we talked about earlier, you have to really love your brain and then avoid things that hurt it and do things that help it. And so most people sort of really know what hurts their brain. And, you know, we talked about marijuana. Alcohol is really not better. Alcohol, any alcohol, is associated with an increased risk of seven different kinds of cancer. And so people that go everything in moderation, that's the gateway thought to hell. Um, Because it just means you're going to cheat. You're going to continue to give yourself permission to cheat. And you're really not going to get serious about your health. And, you know, and the reason I, I don't do those things, I think of it purely as an act of love, that it's not 
deprivation. I'm not depriving myself of something. It's I love myself and I love my family and I love my mission. I need a good brain to actualize those things because I know you you think about business and work a lot with business. Well, what's the organ of success in business? It's your brain. And so, right, it's a series of decisions that you purposefully make over time. That's what grows great businesses. And uh, so I avoid things that hurt it, bad food, don't hit soccer balls with my head, thoughtful when I drive. And then I engage in regular brain-healthy habits, relationships, sleep. You know, you want to feel better tomorrow, go to bed early tonight that sleep is absolutely essential. Simple supplements, multiple vitamin, fish oil. It's the decisions that you make day in and day out. And something that I want to stress is just the way that you can lose weight. You can make your brain better. So if you scanned your brain now, does it look better now than it did when you first initially scanned it 20 years ago or whenever that was? Radically better. I have a new, I have a series. In fact, you should do it with me on Instagram called Scan My Brain, where we take influencers, scan them, and then I go over it with them. And we just did Dr. Emily Morse. I don't know if you know Emily, but Sex with Emily, huge podcast and serious radio. Well, I scanned her and then she fell in love with her brain and did what I asked her to do. And 18 months later, her brain's dramatically better. And that's the whole point. It's you're not stuck with the brain you have. You can make it better even if you've been bad to your brain. I would love to do that test with you. I feel like that would motivate me to (laughs) stop doing what we talked about before because I would know the truth and stop believing these false narratives that are out there that I've lied to myself, basically. Really quick, I do want to talk about coordination and how coordination and dancing and doing things like playing ping pong can actually improve your brain. And any other tips that you can give us in terms of things that I would have never known if I wasn't studying you that like dancing would be good for my brain. What are some little things that we can pick up and start doing that can help improve ourselves that aren't so obvious? So table tennis is the world's best brain game because you got to get your eyes, hands, and feet all working together while you think about the spin on the ball. Now, not beer pong. It's like dancing is amazing because it's a coordination exercise, but not if you're drinking while you're dancing. So um, the cerebellum in the back bottom part of the brain has half the brain's neurons. Cerebellum is Latin for little brain. It's involved in coordination, but so much more. When we activate that with coordination exercises, people think better. They actually make better decisions. So being involved with coordination exercises on a regular basis is great for you. Yeah, I totally, I think just any physical activity, I can correlate from when I started becoming successful was when I started going to the gym. Like literally, I feel like it changed my mind. It changed the way that I thought. I do want to be respectful of your time. The last question I ask all my guests is, what is your secret to profiting in life? So in 1986, I wrote a book called The Sabotage Factor, all the ways we mess ourselves up from getting what we want. And the number one hallmark of self-defeating behavior is blaming other people for how your life turns out. 
So I take responsibility. And responsibility is never blame. It's just my ability to respond to whatever situation comes my way. So it starts with that. And then it goes to what do you want? Clarity. Clearly defining what you want. Relationships. Work. Money. Physical. Emotional. Spiritual health. I have an exercise called the one-page miracle. Write it out. And write what you want, not what you don't want, right? Focus on negativity will bring more negativity in your life. I think if I had to go, so why have I been successful? Because I'm responsible and I have clarity. And I stop caring what other people think of me. There's a rule I love called the 1840-60 rule that says when you're 18, you worry about what everybody's thinking of you. When you're 40, you don't give a damn what anybody thinks about you. And when you're 60, you realize nobody has been thinking about you at all. People spend their days worrying and thinking about themselves, not you. So do what makes you happy as long as you can support your family, Um, right? There's people go, oh, you know, do what you love. And it's like, as long as you can support your family is an important caveat to that. And I think that and brain health, because I love my brain. I'm 67. I have the same energy I had as when I was 30. I have the same mental clarity. I just have a lot more experience and wisdom. I love that. This was such an excellent conversation. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? So they can go to amenclinics.com. So amen, like the last word in a prayer, clinics.com. They can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Doc. Amen. Um, Yeah, I'm easy to find. Amazing. Thank you so much. It was such a great conversation. Thank you. 